on air. Really, energy efficiency is about getting more service out of less energy input. And that's really critical to what we're trying to achieve is how can we better support businesses and households reduce their energy costs whilst reducing their emissions. This is On Air by ANZ Institutional. We bring you the latest market-leading analysis and thought leadership from more than 30 global markets, giving you the information you and your business needs to thrive. Welcome everyone to today's On Air, where we are talking about the release of Putting Energy Efficiency to Work, a joint report from ANZ and the Energy Efficiency Council, which looks into how efficient use of energy in Australia has been overlooked as a method of solving some pressing issues in the space. With us today, we have two experts in the field, Holly Taylor, who is Head of Projects at the Energy Efficiency Council. Hello, Holly. Hello, hello. We also have San Wong, the Head of Energy Transition in REI at ANZ. Good morning, San. Good morning, Shane. The report is out today. It's a good one. Can you take us through what it says about the future in energy in Australia and what that means for business? So ANZ and the EEC commissioned a Australian consultancy called Northmore Gordon to undertake some energy efficiency scenario modelling. Uh, what that means is we've basically looked at if you're paying attention to Australian government policies and programs prior to the budget announcements of two weeks ago, uh, what or how are we achieving our net zero targets and indeed our 43% uh, emissions reductions targets by 2030, basically energy efficiency isn't doing very much. So what's critical to the findings of the report, it's saying if we turn on energy efficiency, if we pay attention to this low cost mostly available uh, opportunity now, we can make real savings in terms of emissions reduction, and that is a cheap way for us to reduce our emissions. So the biggest finding from the report is basically the much greater role that energy efficiency could and should play in Australia's energy transition and net zero transformation. But more broadly, I think the findings from the report cover off the benefits of energy efficiency in terms of individual households and businesses saving a little bit of money if you're a household and a bucket load of money if you're a business. Um, and then really critically there in terms of that health and comfort and staff productivity levels by operating and working and living in buildings that are more comfortable through a mixture of thermal performance from things like draft proofing, insulation, double glazed windows, but also really hitting off those productivity gains from being in a more comfortable temperature, whether that's in the depths of winter or the highs of summer. And last but not least, I think it's very clear that the report makes a really strong connection about how critical it is that when we're thinking about the investment that's needed in our supply side infrastructure, which includes the networks that move electricity from wind farms or indeed from rooftops to where it's needed in households and in business and in industry, it's really critical that if we reduce that demand to begin with, we need less, uh, we need to build less new generation and indeed less uh, networks. But really critically here, we're not saying that we need to stop building all those things we need to build bucket loads of new renewables generation more in terms of network infrastructure but it will be much cheaper if we reduce the demand because we'll need less than what we would otherwise need from ANZ's perspective i think we wanted to make sure that um our customers you know across the entire spectrum i think you know the the 
the, the key thing about this report is that it's, it's, it's written from the perspective of uh, the whole economy. So it doesn't just look at businesses, it also looks at households. And, and, and that, that's one of the, the, the great things about energy efficiency in, in general, it's, it's that it touches every single element of our lives. And it is as applicable to an individual, to families, to businesses, both small, medium, large size. And so everyone has a role to participate in here. There's a term, I suppose, that gets used a lot in, in um, I guess, when we're looking at the energy transition, and that's the energy trilemma, right? This, uh, this ongoing tussle, if you like, between um, energy affordability, energy security, um, and the provenance of that electricity, the, uh, sorry, the energy, uh, which is the sustainability aspect. But there's also a fourth, right, which is around... Um, uh, the just transition component of it. So sometimes we talk about it in terms of energy quadrilemma. Um, energy efficiency is one of those disciplines, if you like, and probably the only one that I could really think of that can address every single one of those elements simultaneously. Um, and I think that is important from, because from the perspective of uh, the energy transition, as we're witnessing at the moment, you know, let's not um, we shouldn't, I guess, shy away from the fact that we are in a difficult environment at the moment from a cost inflation perspective. Things are getting more expensive. And so the, anything that we can do to optimize um, the capital expenditure, and it is very, very significant um, to move our energy system into one that's you know, reliable yet uh, sustainable, low carbon uh, and meets the needs of a growing population um, is is going to be very, very important. I think it's really critical to think about in the context of the Commonwealth Government's budget that was released a few weeks ago, um, very much wanting to make sure that we get back in the black, but also put uh, you know anti-inflationary pressure on the whole economy. And when you think about, particularly from a business perspective, but also from a household perspective, what the government has decided to roll out, if we're talking about business, the government has basically, for next financial year, they're offering a tax incentive to small and medium-sized businesses up to $50 million in, in turnover, uh, the opportunity to basically get cash back for investing in energy efficiency upgrades. So when we talk about CapEx being tight, it's worthwhile remembering that, you know, if you can reduce your operational expenditure, your OPEX, uh, it's really quite beneficial to the business. So if government is able to support businesses with reducing the CapEx that is needed to invest in something like energy efficiency that will reduce their ongoing OPEX, that can be very anti-inflationary in the sense that it reduces the overall amount of money that needs to be spent. And that's really really key to energy efficiency and energy upgrades, including, you know, rooftop solar and batteries alongside heat pumps and, and insulation and, and all that jazz. Like it's it's really critical to think about that interlinkage of how investing upfront will pay for itself and then pay dividends to the business and indeed the household. There's another aspect of that, Holly, that I think is very dear to any banker's heart and is around um, risk management. And I think here the the, the issue um, that issues that we've seen over the past couple of years, um, the geopolitical shocks that we've observed. I mean, that's led to rampant price inflation. Now, while some of those pressures have now abated 
slightly. I think history would suggest that this this wasn't the only price shock that we've seen in the last you know uh, period of time, and I dare say it certainly wouldn't be the last. Um, and hence, if you were a business and you were trying to manage the risks in your business. Um, Energy price risk is one of those that can be addressed through energy efficiency. And I think this is important because as we move forward through this transition, you'd still want to make sure that your businesses remain uh, resilient uh, to potential future shocks. I mean, there's all sorts of things you're probably going to have to deal with uh, as it stands. Um, And in the past, maybe these solutions weren't as widely available, perhaps. But when you combine the ability to invest in technologies like, for example, heat pumps or uh, uh, things of that nature that can substantially reduce your energy consumption, as well as utilization of renewable energy through either procurement or on-site generation, uh, batteries, as you mentioned, Holly, um, all of a sudden you're starting to tick more than just one box. You're not just shielding yourself from operational price risk. You're also you're also positioning your business for a more sustainable future. And I think that's going to be important from a consumer perspective because we, we are seeing that preferences change and there's a lot of pressure on the large end of town as well to decarbonize the supply chain. So if you're a supplier to a large business, I think that's going to be important that you can demonstrate um, the ability to deliver products or services that have a lower environmental footprint and that will increase your competitiveness Uh, in the eyes of um, the broader business community as well as consumers. 100%. And in the context in Australia where we're anticipating the next financial year, uh, Treasury will bring in requirements for um, large publicly listed companies to disclose their climate-related financial risks. When that moves to including Scope 3 risks, which is what the International Sustainability Standards Board is currently working on, that's going to be really critical that you be at you'll be able to say, well, our suppliers are reducing their emissions by doing X, Y, and Z. And what's the cheapest and easiest thing for them to do? Most of the time, it's energy efficiency. It's really worthwhile unpacking that piece on risk here is when you think about ANZ and the EEC's relationship over the last four or five years, the central message has been, what can we do to help businesses manage the risks and capture the opportunities of the energy transition? And what's really clear here when you're thinking about risk management, businesses might think they care about energy prices, but fundamentally, bear with me, I'm not telling you how to suck eggs. What you care about or what businesses care about really critically here is their energy bill. And their energy bill is not just made up of energy prices. It's energy prices multiplied by energy use. Fundamentally, there is absolutely nothing that an individual business or an individual person could do to put massive downward pressure on energy prices. It's much easier for the government and for you know us to advocate for reducing your energy consumption so no matter what the price is, you are paying less. And that's really critical here that we get that message out and remind people, doesn't matter anywhere near as much what the energy price is as much as it matters what your energy consumption is because it's the price multiplied by the consumption. So from a risk management perspective, the best thing that you can do, that a business can do to minimise future price shock is to reduce their consumption now. And those savings, the sooner you do those energy upgrades, the sooner you realise those savings 
And indeed, in many situations, the cheaper those upgrades can be. In others, not always the case. So there are some things right now, and and I'm going to go back to LED lighting, um, which I just need to highlight, plenty of businesses still don't have LED lighting. ANZ does, and indeed, uh, ANZ has had a great program in terms of retrofitting its own buildings to reduce its energy consumption and emissions, but there are a lot of smaller businesses that still haven't done that. And the reason why I say LED lighting is basically the states, particularly Victoria and New South Wales, rolled out programs in Australia to reduce the price of LED lighting by in basically incentivizing people to put it in, giving in subsidies. And now an LED light costs the exact same amount as a CFL light or an incandescent light. So it would be nutty to buy an incandescent or a CFL when they use more electricity. So those opportunities right now, roll them out straight away. They're as cheap as they're ever going to be. Whereas other things like uh, stuff that is you know, not as common, say heat pumps for supporting that mid-range temperature in terms of process heat, which technologically is totally feasible for a heat pump to support 90 degree process heat temperature, which is common in food and beverage manufacturing, which is common in Australia. Um, That opportunity is there, but the price might begin to drop as there's more uptake in Australia. But there are plenty of opportunities that right now you might as well jump in early because prices will go up because inflation is a thing. And even if it's low levels of inflation, it doesn't magically stop. It will keep growing. So the key message here is jump on board early so that you can get the cheaper costs early and so that you can realise the savings sooner. Maybe we can talk about how the link between the two groups came apart and why ANZ and the AEC have partnered on it. Holly, maybe I'll start with you. So about five years ago, ANZ joined the Energy Efficiency Council. So the Energy Efficiency Council is Australia's peak body for the energy management sector. That means that we work on behalf of our members to advocate for energy efficiency, electrification and decarbonisation of Australia's households and businesses. We also work on ensuring that the energy management sector has the skills and capabilities it needs to deliver those energy efficiency and electrification upgrades. And we do a lot of work supporting businesses with understanding the energy transition and indeed Australia's net zero transformation. And it's within that context that ANZ Bank joined the EEC five years ago with a really, uh, from my understanding, a deep desire to be able to better support ANZ's clients, particularly the business clients with understanding what's going on with the energy transition and how can ANZ's clients better manage the risks and capture the opportunities of Australia's net zero transformation. Yeah, I think that's right. Holly, and it's been a great partnership to date. Obviously, banks have a very important role in mobilizing uh, capital uh, and facilitating trade. Facilitating trade, um, and you know, ANZ's got had a really strong pedigree in financing um, the energy sector. And you know, from an energy transition perspective, we've actually been um, uh, at it for well over two decades now. Really, you know, when we started off with the very first. Uh, project finance wind farm um, in Victoria quite a long time ago. Um, And since then, we've obviously built up a very uh, substantial uh, and successful franchise in financing, I suppose, the transformation of the supply side of things. Um, And indeed, that's still our ongoing focus because, you know, the scale of the transformation that's required is very, very substantial. But as we thought deeper into 
I guess, the, the kind of conversations we needed to have uh, and the things we needed to, to do and to think about more deeply with our customers um, to really take the transition to the next level, you know, it, was, it became very, very clear to us that, you know, when we thought about the things we cared about most in line with the group's purpose, you know, there are things like uh, uh, improving the financial well-being of our customers, as well as helping uh, households and businesses move towards more sustainable practices. Um, energy efficiency was something that ticked all those boxes, and we simply could not, um, we simply had to, to pay more attention to the demand side of the equation. And that's led to, I guess, a, a, you know, a whole range of different things that I've had the pleasure of working with you on, Holly, uh, and, and most recently the release of this report. And when CN says the demand side rather than supply side, explicitly what he's talking about is how and when we use energy. So the simplest way to think about the demand side or energy efficiency is lighting. So if you look at an LED light bulb, it uses up to uses up to 80% less electricity than the old incandescent light bulbs. And whilst that might not seem like it's a lot of energy because it's one individual light bulb, think about how many lights there are all over the world. So really energy efficiency is about uh, getting more service out of less energy input. And that's really critical to what we're trying to achieve is how can we better support businesses and households reduce their energy costs whilst reducing their emissions. And the other key thing here is energy efficiency also includes a little bit around demand flexibility. So that's in the simplest way to put that if you're at home, hot water systems currently turn on at nighttime because they were trying to soak up the excess energy use or energy um, supply from when everyone was asleep. But as we move to a grid that has a lot of solar in it, it's better for our hot water systems to turn on during the day and to suck up that excess solar during the day. So this idea of reducing how much energy we need to begin with and indeed shifting the demand of when we're using that energy, either in a stagnant way with hot water systems or indeed in a dynamic way when there's increased demand for, say, heating and cooling during a heat wave, this is critical to what the Energy Efficiency Council stands for, to what we advocate businesses to do, and this is critical to how ANZ can support its clients and indeed its own staff with reducing their energy costs whilst contributing to a more sustainable future. Holly, did you want to talk a bit about the role of energy audits in, in this regard? Because I think, I think it is important um, to understand exactly where the opportunities and, and the relativities in terms of cost benefit kind of lies for individual businesses? Yeah. So one of the things that we unpack in the report is basically um, what should a business do to seize these opportunities? So the first thing first is you need your management to say, we want to do this. Because I say this with love, if a facilities manager goes, I've got X amount of budget, I'm allowed to just pay for an energy audit, but then they haven't convinced uh, the finance team, CFO, that they should invest in the upgrades. It's a complete waste of money. So what's really critical here is your first step is get that buy-in from your executive team. How do you get that buy-in? Read the report. It tells you all the sweet tools to convince the CEO, the CFO, to work out what to do. But the next thing you need to do is identify the opportunities. So how do you identify the opportunities? An energy audit. So there's three types of energy audits in Australia. There's an Australian and New Zealand standard for energy auditing. The third type is particularly critical for very intensive processes 
in weird industrial sites. So most businesses will not need to do a type three uh, energy audit. Type one is the most basic. If your uh, if if your company is based in a building and is not an industrial company, type one audit will normally do you just fine. And there are a lot of people that can do type one energy audits. Indeed, you can find them on the EEC's website at ec.org.au forward slash members. And basically a type one goes in and goes, oh, what's your energy? Where are you using energy? Lights, heating, ventilation and cooling. So that's your air conditioning. Um, plug load from your computers, from your servers, what are the opportunities or what's the probable energy consumption from these things, from these individual things because they'll look at the overall organisational energy consumption and then they'll go, here's the opportunities. This HVAC system, the air conditioner, is actually 20 years old. If you upgraded it, um, the energy performance would be much better. A type two energy audit, which is far more useful for a lot of ANZ's uh, big customers, is really perfect for say a manufacturer or a miner where it goes into the nitty gritty and you might actually get some sub metering of specific kit. So any energy audit will look at your overall energy consumption and go, this is a little bit high given the square meterage and the services you're providing. A type two is really gonna nitty gritty go into this particular um, process is a bit high. And that's really useful for identifying the opportunities for a business. So fundamentally, you go from getting executive buy-in, the, you know, who holds the purse strings, they're saying, yes, let's get this done. You get an energy audit, which identifies the opportunities. So it could be your air conditioner's 20 years old, let's replace it. It could be your server's in a room that doesn't have very good air conditioning and if you move the servers apart, they wouldn't be producing so much heat, so you'd need less air conditioning. Lots of different opportunities there. It could be uh, you're currently using a gas boiler for temperature at 60 degrees. If you replace that with a heat pump, um, potentially at end of life rather than straight away, that'll save you bucket loads of money. So it identifies these opportunities and it enables a business to build the business case and the pipeline of upgrades that you want to do. And what's critical here is nobody's living in like a crazy land where we're saying, hey, every business out there, you need to efficiently electrify everything right now and get it done so you can get rid of all of your emissions. No, we want your businesses to thrive. But there are pieces of kit that will be coming up to end of life and we want you to efficiently electrify them where possible to do so, so that it's going to save you money. And you want to do that energy audit so that you've got a pipeline of opportunities and you've got a business plan for when you are implementing those opportunities. And that's a critical decision maker uh, for businesses. And what's really useful here is that there's both an Australian standard, which is based on the international standard, and there's a lot of people in Australia that have been trained in that standard. And again, you can find them at ec.org.au forward slash members. I think that's the thing, isn't it, um, Holly? The energy audit will allow you to, I guess, forensically analyse your business um, and really understand where the opportunities are. And it's not just one thing, right? It's a whole different, potentially a whole different range of solutions depending on what is necessary and what will fit within you know, I suppose it costs appetite and, and where you sit relative to your CapEx replacement uh, programs. But I think energy audits uh, also apply very much as the, uh, within, in the household context as well. This is not necessarily well as well understood. If I could share a bit of a story, it's a personal story of mine. 
uh, moved into a relatively a new house. Well, it's new to me. It's not a new house. Uh, very standard suburban weatherboard house in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne. Um, I knew it's leaky. I just didn't know how leaky it was from a thermal perspective. And so um, I got some advice, including from Holly, paid a very small amount of money for an energy audit. And there was a gentleman that turned up the house and literally spent four hours looking at every, every corner of the house, crawling on all fours underneath the house, crawling on all fours on the ceiling of the house. And then at the end, uh, provided me with a very comprehensive report. Um, and the important thing, it was a very confronting read, I must say. But I think the, the, the interesting thing about the report was that it essentially set out a bit of a chronology of what I should be doing um, from things that don't cost very much at all. It's literally a trip to the hardware store um, and spending a small amount of money on things like door seals to things that perhaps I should sort of wait until you know, the air conditioning system breaks down, etc. So you've got this whole continuum of, of options that you can deploy. But importantly, they've also suggested, um, I guess, some indications of cost effectiveness, right? So what is the cost benefit of each of those investments that I have to make? What are some, some quick wins I could have? And some things that you think about maybe if um, uh, down the track, if you're really trying to extract that very, very last drop of energy savings and it's really helped me because now I understand from a household perspective exactly what I need to do and I can make a bit of a plan, save some money and implement those uh, strategies in, a, in an orderly way. And this is really critical from a household perspective. And, you know, I appreciate we're talking to businesses right now, but what cuts through talking about people's individual homes, that opportunity when Sen's talking about going to a hardware store to support draft proofing, to remove that leakiness where you're losing warmth or pulse, as people like to say, so the cool in, in your home. This is stuff that costs a couple hundred bucks and you can do it yourself. Like anybody that's been fortunate enough to live overseas, in Europe, in North America, even in developing countries, Australia has shocking homes. Now, Australia has shocking homes for one critical reason. Energy was dirt cheap in Australia for so long, so it barely cost us anything to heat and cool our homes. But you are talking about stuff that costs a couple hundred bucks and can improve the temperature in your home by a few degrees, right through to things that can cost, you know, up to $10,000 for, say, replacing your hot water system. But the reality is, is you replace your hot water system at end of life. The draft proofing you can do right now. And that's really critical, the same in businesses of going, what can we do straight away? And some of that stuff is turning off lights at end of day, which I know sounds really basic and you'd think businesses aren't doing this, but no, businesses are still doing this. It's also opportunity when you've got, say, you've got a lot of refrigerators, if you're not opening those fridges at night, you can turn the thermostat like higher because it will keep the cool in the fridge because you're not opening the fridge. So there is opportunity here and it can all be automated. This isn't a thing that you need people to manually turn off lights and manually play with fridge temps. This can all be automated. And honestly, 
it's not that expensive compared with some of the bigger ticket things you'd think about, like putting a giant solar array on your roof or investing in batteries. The controls opportunity with energy efficiency is quite substantial and can often lead to 10, sometimes 20% in energy savings just by implementing good controls. That was On Air by ANZ Institutional. Be sure to like, follow or subscribe to hear more. This podcast is intended as thought leadership material. It is not published with the intention of providing any direct or indirect recommendations or to influence any person to make a decision in relation to any financial product or class of financial products. It is general in nature and does not take account of the circumstances of any individual or class of individuals. For further information, please refer to the full disclaimer at institutional.anz.com.